For full accident management support, including motor replacement, repairs and personal injury compensation claims, just search G4 Claims today. Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by my second Welshman on the podcast, Mark Evans, Head of International for the Welsh Football Association. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. I'm very good, Derek. I'm live and proud at the moment in, in Wales and enjoying actually seeing some live football again. So, yeah, it's all good. It's been strange times, hasn't it? I mean, I suppose for, for myself, I'm a, a big Motherwell fan, as many people that, that listen or watch this podcast will know. But, you know, for yourself... You're maybe used to not having football every week working for the Welsh FA, but looking at the flag behind you, I'm sure you've got your, your home team that you follow as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean the national team stuff has been a very surreal. I mean, the and the Euros, I mean, the Scots were a bit lucky. You know, you actually got to see your team. I mean, I mean the Euros in 2016 for Wales was such a perfect summer. And then this one was the opposite. You know, we didn't have fans in the ground and... You know, it was a really tough summer. So, I mean, we're looking forward now to getting some fans in when we play Estonia in September. So the international team has been, I think everybody's dying to see the international team again. But at the moment, my team, Merthyr, we uh, we started the season, played two, drawn one, lost one. Um, but we, I mean, Merthyr's an interesting one because Merthyr, as a lot of you uh, listeners will know, uh, are a Welsh club playing in the English system with the lowest rank of the five Welsh clubs at play in England and last year because we couldn't get fans in because of the Welsh government's cautious approach as opposed to Johnson's bonkers approach <laughs> um, we, could, we couldn't get fans in so we actually took the, the conscious decision last year to suspend our season so we've had to rebuild the club from scratch so it's going to be a bit of a long season for Merthyr this year but I don't care because I'm watching it live Aye, exactly what, what's that like for a, a Welsh fan going to watch football in England I can imagine at times the atmosphere must be quite hostile, but you, you've constantly yeah, that I want to get one over them. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've been in this, these leagues now for over 113 years now. Because that's all we started. We were in the Football League once for a decade. Absolutely. And uh, most teams we go to, we always go to, we have a bit of banter and it's good fun. Don't get me wrong, every now and again you get some numpty turning up who wants to give it the old England thing. But don't really get it, really, in non-league football. You know, I mean, I think one thing on non-league football has always been is if you want to cause trouble in non-league football, you better be prepared to cause trouble because there's no police around. There's no dancing about on pavements and throwing chairs around. Non-league football is different. So, um, we don't get much grief, but I mean, it is good fun, you know, and uh, I think we enjoy being very Welsh when we go away. (laughs) Cranking up that accent. Oh, we crank it up way, 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 way high, yeah. Tell us a wee bit about your job then, because we've obviously got a mutual friend, Jaffa, who's a, a big Well fan, and I believe that yous go way back into the, the fanzine scene and have been to gigs together and, and the likes, but he, he told me, yeah. you know, I've got a friend, Mark, who's head of international at the Welsh FA, and I thought, what the hell is head of international? But the more that I, I hear about it, it sounds like the dream job for someone that's a, a Welsh football fan. Oh, I mean, yeah, it is It is the dream job. I mean, my, my dad um, worked in Hoover's, Right, okay. I mean, the, the massive plant was in our town, and when it was, they were in Cambuslang. That's right. In Scotland yeah, as well. Nice, eh? Yeah. So my, my dad worked there for 30 years. So every time I come home sometimes and I have a little moan to my dad about, oh, my job is a bit tiring, I've been away, he just slaps me across the head and tells me to shut up <laughs> because that was a tough job. This right. is a dream job. 
No, I, I mean, the, you mentioned the fanzines there. And the, the, the interesting thing about my career path, which is a total accident, is all based on the fanzine. So in 89, when the fanzine explosion started, every team had fanzines. I mean, Motherwell must have about 18 in one season in those days. Because everybody produced one. Um, I started the, the Merthyr fanzine, Dialing for Merthyr, which is still going today, by the way. Brilliant. Um you know yourself that produces it? Uh, not so much now. I, I, I write a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, it's my mate Mikey does all the, the editing now for, for legal reasons and things like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, so the fanzine started and we were we were very eager on, on um, talking about the football politics and everything. And in, and in Wales, of course, we, we, it's nowhere near where the Celtic Rangers thing is. But we do have in the south of Wales the Swansea Cardiff thing. So when when the Football Supporters Association, where Rogan Taylor from Liverpool were campaigning against IG cards and everything, all the South Wales meetings would be held in Merthyr because it was neutral territory. Right, okay. That's so, um, and I did the fanzine and we invited the then General Secretary of the Welsh FA, Alan Evans, to come to a meeting. I gave him a fanzine, asked him for an interview. I said, I know problem coming on tomorrow. I went on the next day in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and a bit of pencil in my hand and a pit paper. And he wanted to interview me for a job. So I started off on a really bad start, and then I got the job. And then within 12 months, the Welsh FA changed dramatically. Um, the campaign for the League of Wales has that happened. And, uh, you know, I, I was very lucky to stick my foot in the door and get a chance to do it. So and I've been doing that for 31 years now. Mark, did you so, um, at first it was, it, uh, you were crossing over to the dark side? You're going from, from fan to corporate, or were you, were you all right with that transition? I was alright with that. I was alright with that. I'm I'm happy to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, and let's be honest. I mean, I mean, I watched Merthyr, and because in '89 Merthyr were in the conference, so I'm, I'm, and in '92 we finished fourth, which now would be a playoff match. Yeah. So it's a bit scary to think Merthyr could actually go back in the football league at that point. I don't think I don't think it would have ended well because we have a history of financial problems. But no, coming to watch Merthyr is is a bit off. Is in a way has been quite helpful for me because. The Welsh FA obviously deals with domestic Welsh football, and because my tab, my club doesn't play in it, I've, I've it's almost like a step out. I can step out in the weekend, yeah, and watch the Martyrs and and not get involved. So in a way, it's helped me. Um, and again, I think I'm, I'm I'm lucky to international football. So you know, I don't have much um, if influence or anything within domestic game anyway, and I do enjoy watching it. Sure. Um, it's much. It's getting a lot better. The domestic game in Wales and the new Saints almost got through. Um, um, and Connor's key, of course, um, knocked out Kilmarnock a couple of years ago, which I keep telling everybody about. Aye, thanks for reminding us. Uh, it's Scottish football. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad enough, well, you're putting us down. So, uh, yeah, so Welsh domestic football is really good. But obviously, I do international. So, I mean, from 1989, um, it was the men's first team and a youth team. Now, of course, it's the full gamut of teams. Now it's women's. Our women's team is really good. Women's in the 19s, women's in the 17s, the men's team, futsal. Um, the only thing we haven't got at the moment, we haven't got beach football, which is a shame, mate, because we've got lovely beaches in Wales. So we should <laughs> do that one day. But yeah, and, and, and the international department thing is a bit of a misnomer because it, it sounds very glamorous. And don't get me wrong, I do have an, a couple of nice hotel rooms now and again. But uh, it's, it's all about operations. That's what it is. It's logistics. Yeah. It's it's hotels. It's travel. I mean, at the moment, I'm doing visas for our. We're playing Belarus in September at a neutral venue, Russia. 
Um, okay. So, um, so it's it's all about the stuff in the background. It's hard enough to mm. fix a, a Russian visa for one person. Never mind thirty plus. I'd imagine. Oh, this well. I mean, I, I will fly, we, we'll have sixty people going there. So, yeah. um, and it's it's a challenge, but you know. But I mean, international football um, has changed so much. Everything is centralised now. The television contracts, the, the way we put the games on. I mean, what what I do in Cardiff will be exactly what my counterpart in Glasgow will do. In fact, my counterpart in Glasgow, name check you, a little Frank Riley was my name was my counterpart in the Scottish FA, sure. top man and a top Queens Park fan, and he's just retired. Brilliant. Full respect to Frank Riley. It's good yeah. to hear that there are still Queens Park fans out there. I have to say, it, uh, well, if there's hey, not many of them now. It's one year, mate. <laughs> Aye. Would you say that's your Scottish team? Yeah, there's a Scottish team. I mean, if Jaffa will tell you, yeah. that's where we all came together. Back in 1990, we wrote to the Queen's Park fans and said, we were fancy coming up for a game of football. Do you want one? And then for about 15 years solid, we went up every every Easter to watch the Queen's Park. And we still do it now. Excellent. Yeah, well, it's a bit weird now, because right? I used to like going to Hamden because it was just a weird atmosphere. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's less a Hamden now. That's as soon as they get their sorted act out, they're like in Partick now, aren't they? Yeah, strange. Very strange. Yeah, uh, no, I think my, my mates have been my mates up there are getting uh, a bit frustrated. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's one of the weird things they say about Jaffa. You know, um, um, the Motherwell lads got involved with the fanzines and they got involved with the fanzine fiber sides. Um, and in fact, our supporters team had a Motherwell fan in that in that as well. Right. A fellow called Alan Kichi. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who you mean. Motherwell fan, and he's one of the best football players who ever played in our football team. He was just <laughs> the Maradona of the team, or the uh, the Jinky Johnston, way you want to call it. Um, so we've had so we've had good links with Scottish clubs, and it's St Johnston, Motherwell, and Queens Park. Those are the three clubs. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, and, and again, it's all through the fanzines. Yeah, sort of men of my age now. We have these weird links in England. It's Orient and Peterborough. Yeah, random. Um, because the links we've got through, year, through fanzines. You still get together. Sorry? You still get together for your five asides every year. Uh, it's more walking football now, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I find it. The, the, the pandemic got in the way, but next year now we'll be going up to Queens Park for the Queens Park Sixes. And um, all jokes aside, yeah, we will have a walking football team against Motherwell and Peterborough. Walking to the pub, um, more like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, it won't last long. The football is just an excuse. It's it's incredible to think, you know, that the, the fanzine scene that, that really kicked off, I would imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the late 80s, early 90s has created so many jobs for people like yourself. You hear of, uh, even at Motherwell, Tam Cowan, who started off kind of in the fanzine scene, then get into working with the Evening Times, and, and now he's on Radio Scotland week in, week out. It, it really seems to have opened doors for people. It was like that early stage of, like, football journalism, which was, yeah. it was, it was almost like the first ever fans' view, wasn't it? It offers an alternative oh, from your, your typical newspaper stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it just gives people the the confidence to, to, to write and to just put their views on paper, however daft or crazy or, or in-depth they were. I mean, we've got a couple of, one big one with us, a gentleman called Johnny Owen. Um, if you've watched um, some sports documentaries, um, I Believe in Miracles, the Nottingham Forest film, Don't Take Me Home, the Wales film, or more recently, Three Kings, about Trankley, about Paisley and Steen. Yeah, I've not seen That's that. That's a mate of ours called Johnny Owen. That's phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I've not watched it's a, it yet. It's a really good film. It's a, and I mean, all three of them. He, he, he specialised in sports documentaries. His first, and he'll tell you this, his first 
um, time he dipped his toe into the journalism was writing for our fanzine. It's amazing. You know, and then he did more, and he did more, and then he obviously got the con. But I think there's, I mean, I think Adrian Childs wrote for the West Brom fanzine. That's right. That's correct. Uh, I think um, Adrian Goldberg, Goldberg's on um, Talk Sports. Again, I think he's another West Brom fanzine lad. So I think it just gave people. Um, there's a this great lad called Tom Davis who writes for the Guardian, who wrote for the Orient fanzine. So you're right. I mean, I think it, I think it just gave working class people the opportunity to write for their to, for their peers, and then to go, I like this. Hey, I've got a podcast. Like, just be like yourself. Just be like yourself. You know, doing the podcast. You know, absolutely. The link is football. Yeah, and this is great. And it, it always amazes me how many doors football opens, you know, and, and you'll have similar experiences to myself. You know, you've, you've made friends all over the world through football. You know, you, you've been to cities and countries that you would never have visited in a million oh, yeah. years through football. And it, it bothers me when there's people that maybe listen to this or maybe they, you work with them. Maybe you won't work with them because you work in football, but you work with people and they go, OK, it's just a game. Why are you spending all your time going to the football? What a waste of money. And they don't realise that the personal relationships that people build off this, the emotional yeah, attachment absolutely. as well, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think I think most football fans will tell you what they've missed in the last 12 months with lockdown. It's not the actual game itself. Exactly. Because to be honest with you, sometimes that's the worst part of the day. Everybody, everybody agrees with that. Right. I mean, watching Motherwell must be as frustrating as watching Merthyr. Oh, it's torture, torture. Yeah, but you want to meet your mates have a pint, get a pie, talk shit. Absolutely. Go home and moan about the game because we love, we love, we love it when we lose. Let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. And I missed that. I missed seeing my friends. Yeah. Because because that's the common bond that unites us is this love of this silly football club in the middle of the valleys. <laughs> um. And yeah, you're right. I mean, and of course, football is still one of the big things across the globe that everybody can talk about. It's an international language. It's you know, it's it's one thing that everyone can connect with, regardless of where you're from or what language you speak. Is sometimes you find yourself yeah. going places. Certainly, I, I hate this, and you'll get it as well with Cardiff or Swansea, I'm sure. But you go abroad, and someone says, "Oh, you're Scottish Rangers or Celtic." Oh, you know, yeah, we'll be, it, we've covered that. We've, we've yeah. covered that thing in our fans in about twenty times. The which which team do you support, Cardiff or Swansea? Neither is Merthyr. <laughs> yeah. oh, you must you must put one of them. No, I don't. Jeez. Tell you in the west of Scotland, it's even worse when they start trying to work it out by yeah. what school you went to or what your surname is. I have to say. Yeah, well, we we've actually got a new. We, we did a we got a massive banner now which we have at the ground, and it's a bit of a play on the old Socialist Workers Party slogan. So it's 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 neither Cardiff nor Swansea, but international Merthyrism. That's brilliant. <laughs> genuinely, it's like look, we don't we're not interested in your petty squabbles and your. Stuff we just like come watching the football, paint in my hand, watch the football, you know. So yeah, so uh, yeah. But the thing is, whatever, whatever we go somewhere, whatever you go anywhere, meet somebody, they will nine times out of ten have some viewpoint on football. Absolutely. So let, let's take it back to the early days with your your job at the FA. What what were you doing then that you're not doing now? And and what were you doing in the first couple of days in the job? Was there was there any shocks? Were you was there a time where it really clicked and you thought, do you know what? This is the job that I've always dreamed of doing. Yeah. I mean, about, I mean, I joined this more or less as the office boy, to be, to be blunt, on about 60 quid a week. And he was just, you know, a bit of filing, answering the phones. Um, I think one of the first things I did was back in the day, it was before TV um, agreed the blackouts and everything about certain times. 
So the individual associations had the right to say, we don't want this game shown for a certain reason. Okay. And it was a Celtic game. Celtic were playing in Europe and the Welsh FA decided that we wouldn't get enough money for this, so we would block it. Right, okay. Oh my God, the phones went nuts. Yep, People from sure. Scotland ringing up, just having a go with me. Which I enjoyed in the end, because it was quite funny, because after a while, you just have to go back. <laughs> and, uh, so it was a lot of that, you know, answering the phones and stuff. But then about nine months in, um, we, I think we restarted the under-21 team. And their first game, or one of their first games, was away in Poland. And my bosses then came, literally came downstairs and said, Mark, have you got a passport? You're going to Poland next week. <laughs> and actually, as a, actually, I didn't have a passport. I had a massive black eye, you know, because I had a fight the week before. And so, great. So my first passport is me with a massive black eye. So that was a great start. Uh, and then it literally went from there. So I went on this trip to Poland within the 21 team. And that team had Chris Coleman, Gary Speed. I think Ryan Giggs was in the team. And we won 3-2. And I had a wonderful time. And then when I got back, the boss, as then, more or less, said, look, you've done it once. Do you want to keep doing this? Yes. Yes, please. (laughs) And so I went from office boy to international secretary, or whatever we called it then, in in the space of like six days. Um, But it was was such a different environment, though. Such a different environment to now. Obviously, no mobile phones. You know, I was communicating with, with... other countries by telex i don't even know what telex is mark well exactly you youngsters i was actually sitting there typing and then little thing and he'd wait for the reply and it came up hello albania do you want to play this in a friendly pause no chance wales oh thanks okay but that's what i was doing you know um and it, as i said it was a few teams we had no women's team then it was it was a massively different time you know um but it was a much more enjoyable time in some ways sure. because the players were much more free yeah. to go and have a few beers with you and everything and things like that, you know, um, different. When you're doing that, Mark, what is your responsibility on that trip to Poland, for example? You're going away for the first time. What are you told to do? You know, <laughs> Oh, literally on that one. I mean, it's all this, it's some of the stuff that we still do now. I mean, one of the things we do on camp when the teams arrive is we take their passports off them. They've got to travel their passport, so yeah. unless you've got it in your hand, you don't, don't trust them to not <laughs> hand it over because, yeah, it's in my car, it's in my car. Yeah. Day of the flight, oh, I'm no, I'm got it really. <laughs> we had one player turn up at the airport in, in London once with his wife's passport, oh, um, and sort of tried to try and still insisted to try and get on the plane. <laughs> um, so it's it, and that was the same then, just took the passports in, just do the game, take the notes of the game, um, relay it back to um, a sports desk back in Cardiff. You know, it was very much, you know, very still quite old-fashioned. I, I don't think what I was doing in 89 was any different to what my, my counterparts in the 60s were doing, sure. to be honest. But then within 10 years and definitely within 15, 20 years, it is, it's a revolution. Yeah. You know, it's, it's way different now. Um, it's still enjoyable, but it's such a different, different ball game now with clubs and sports science. And um, I mean, when, we, when, when, we did the, when I did my first... National T Games of Wales. It was Terry Arthur's manager, top man, Peter Shreves his assistant, an old fella called Ron, Ron Stedfall, ex Cardiff player, was the kit man, and a doctor called Graham Jones, who was Newport County's doctor, who literally would, when he was on duty for Wales, he would just lock up his GP office and just come and work for us. 
<laughs> so if, it's busy in Newport. You, in, the, in these next 10 days, I'm going to watch you play for Wales. So don't die, okay? <laughs> that, that's how it was. So there was like five of us. And um, I just I just found it amazing. You know, um, must just, have been and now I've got, now, now we've got five masseurs now. Mark, you must have been all over the world. You know, it must you must have been some real highlights that you, as we touched on earlier, you wouldn't have went to otherwise. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no way in the world that I would go to Moldova or um, Azerbaijan or Armenia and Georgia and those places. Some of them, I, I love some of them. I, I love Georgia; it's an amazing place. Just had some great time in Azerbaijan. You know, um, you know, it's like, but it's like, it's like football fans, like the Tartan Army. You know. Our, our fans are exactly very very similar, almost identical to the Scottish fans. Since they want to go to these places, you know, oh, who we got, Mark? Belgium. Oh, go back and tell me you don't want to play them again. You yeah. know, I mean, playing Republic of Ireland the last few years has been torture for our fans. Yeah, you want to trip but, somewhere exotic, don't you? And by exotic, I mean Georgia or Moldova. It's... Well, well, actually, in, in October we we we're playing in Estonia, sure. and our fans are. Like champing at the bit to get to Estonia, yeah. You know, we've got this decision through from FIFA now that they won't take away fans for September, which is frankly absurd. When you had fans traveling for the Euros in June and July, and then a couple of months later, you, you can't do it anymore. When we, there was twelve thousand Danish fans in Amsterdam when we got knocked out of the Euros. And, Mark, and you know, I heard stories on I heard stories online that they were the Danish fans could travel, but the, the Welsh fans were getting knocked back at the border, and they were. Yeah, no, we couldn't. We couldn't travel. I mean, that that, that is part of a, of a of a legacy of, of Brexit, mind. Yeah, you know, the freedom of movement didn't exist anymore, so we weren't able to travel. We had about two hundred Welsh fans in the ground, but they had twelve thousand. So I think a lot of our fans are saying now, look, we want to go to Finland in September, but you're saying we can't. The Finland will let us in. Yeah, because of double vaccinations. Um, but you say we can't. But meanwhile, two months ago, though, it was okay for 12,000 Danes to cross the border. Um, and our fans, I think, are, are just really excited about October because we've got a double header. We've got Prague and Tallinn. It's probably the, the one, two of the best party cities in Europe. That's amazing, eh? And, and, and that's what they want to go to. Yeah, 100%. Our fans want to go to Tallinn. They want to go to Yerevan. They want to go to Baku. You know, the, the, the weirder, the better. And I think the Scottish fans are exactly the same. Absolutely. And so, you, you, as you say, you know, you touched on this job, early 80s, early 90s. What a wait until you actually got to a major tournament. It must have been incredible. 2016 was well, that we, the first one? It was the first one in 2006 that I went to. 2006. It was a bit of a wait. And we got a couple of close shaves, of course. I mean, we had the, the Romania game in 93, which ended in tragedy. Um, and then, which, which was, I've got to say, a heartbreaking event on so many levels. And then when we lost to Russia in the playoffs, but we didn't play that night. And it's one of those ones you actually went, oh, okay, fair enough. But uh, it, it did feel as if we were never going to make it. It did feel as if, oh, this is never going to happen. Again, that's very similar to Scotland, is it? You know, it's yeah. <laughs> the longer the heartache drags on, it makes it more special when you do actually get there. Yeah, and, and I've got to say, France was the perfect storm for us. Fabulous event, fabulous place. And our fan, again, our fans were able to travel. Yeah. In there, tens of thousands, you know, and that's what made the, the last Euros. Don't get me wrong, it's great to be there. It's great to be on the big stage and to enjoy it. But it was not even close to being how good France was. You, know? you must have built up some some relationships over the time. You know, you says that your your first trip, you've got Chris Coleman in the under twenty ones, and then 
you know, 20 years later, you're, you're traveling with him as the manager, you know, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, I mean, obviously we've had, we had Gary Speed before him, God bless his soul. You know, then Ryan Giggs comes in and then up again. And Robert Page is our manager now. And they all played, they all played in that era. Yeah. So I've known them, man and boy, you know. Um, and it does help. It does help, you know, because, you know, it's a bit of, sub- I, I hope that myself and my colleagues provide a bit of stability, um, a bit of um, continuity as well. So nothing changes, you know, when in, things change all the time, but the, the core staff are still there going through. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen them all come and go, you know. How, how close do you get to them? Because I'd imagine you've got some players who have got massive egos, you know, you and I, I don't want to put names out there, but you, you say people like Ryan Giggs, who for me has played at the highest level. He's won everything in the game, you know. You've got Gareth Bale, who's out at Real Madrid. But then you've got players as well who play in the... The English leagues, maybe even the Welsh leagues to a certain extent, you know, and I feel at Wales, it's, there's a real range of players at different levels, but when they get into yeah. that red kit, they all seem to be as one and they all seem to be very down to earth. Yeah, I think we've had it for, for quite a while now and I used to be able to tell you off and we've got it back now, that club mentality where they all come together and enjoy being together. Yes. So, I mean, I, I know this is a bit sad for your podcast, but I mean, there, but there, are, there are no prima donnas in the camp. Um, I would rather hear that, Mark. I would much yeah, rather hear um, that. And, then, yeah. and, that's, and that's that's the truth of it. I mean, they all come in. And, but but it's interesting. The, the one the one the one player that they always mentioned in the Euro 2016 was a player who was playing in Scotland at the time, Owen Vaughan Williams. Yeah. And I think he's, he's playing for Hamilton. That was easy. No, no, no. Dunfermline. Dunfermline. He's at Dunfermline now. Now he is a he was our third choice goalkeeper. You know, a third choice goalkeeper. They they're never going to play, are they? Um, <laughs> but he but he plays a great guitar. Oh, amazing. And when we beat Israel away, he was the one with the guitar, sitting next to Gareth Bale. Oh, one's on the guitar, playing the tunes, and, and, and Gareth Bale singing some, murdering some Oasis song, you know. That's and that's cool. what they always mentioned. They mentioned, when, they, when, when we spoke about the, the team, we spoke about Owen Vaughan Williams because everything was important. Some of the things we do, sort of money-wise and everything, Gareth Bale and when may not, Players that go in Vaughan Williams are in the professional game at the lower end of it. Still professionals, still turning up for Wales, still coming away for 10 days on a trip where, again, let's be honest, he's not going to play. And they're the important ones. Yeah. You know, again, Owen in the Euros was there for, well, Christ, we were there for four or five weeks, weren't we? Um, and he was magnificent, you know. Um, so it's, I, I think it's always good to look at those players because the big guns will look after themselves, but it's those players. I mean, in the Euros, it was uh, Owen Vaughan Williams, uh, David Vaughan, David Cottrell, those players who were fantastic off the field. Yeah. You know, they were off the field, they were really good fun. Um, and that's what holds everyone together. That's the, what brings that club mentality that you touched on there. You know, it's if you yeah. don't have those players there, they might not make the difference on the park, but they're the ones that are really bringing people together and making it a memorable trip away from the football. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, when we when we qualified in Bosnia in Zeneca, we lost, but we um, the Cypriots did give us a favour. You know, again, it was you know the the. Um, the Owen Vaughan Williams of this world, who play, well, the guitars, you know, it's all them. It's, the, it's our kit man um, out with his guitar. It's that sort of thing. And, and, and I've got, that's not unique to Wales. That's all football teams. Yeah. Whether you're playing in, you know, um, uh, the, the Highland League or you're playing in, you know, um, playing for um, England. Now, 
Totally. You know, it's, it's those are small things that get picked bring it together. If not, if you, and if you haven't got it though, if you haven't got it, you're in trouble. Absolutely. Is that something as part of your job you have to do is book a guitar onto one of these fights, Mark? No, it's a kit man's job, that is. <laughs> like, the kit man dies, been doing it for 20 odd years. And, 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 and anybody in football will tell you the most important men in any club is the kit man. Because they, they, run, they think they run the place. And they probably do, actually. And they, they do everything. So, you know, and, and, they, and they have this habit of producing things. I don't know. I've got a guitar, die. Okay, off you now. Thinking, oh, we're in Bosnia, and then he's walking with a guitar in his hand. That's that's Kitman everywhere. I don't know who Mother World's Kitman is, but I can guarantee he knows where everything is. Yeah, Alan McDonald, his name is, and he's he's been there yeah. for years as well. He's got a shrine, you know. He's got a little cave in for Park, and I think he's got a shirt of every club in the land. You know, it's and it's yeah. the same. These people have relationships with football players that no one else does. Anything that a player moves on, you know, you, you see them sending shirts back. And if you go into Alan's little cave at Fir Park, mm-hmm. some of the jerseys he's got there are top top players yeah. from all over the world. Yeah. And yeah, because I, I try, I actually try to to have a bit of distance between, between me and the players because in a way I'm a bit of a management role. Sure. Um, but like, but like the kit men and the masseurs in particular, any in any um, national team camp, the place where everything goes on is in the the, mas- the massage room, the medical room. You walk in there. Uh, you have to be prepared for some banter because you know the players are getting massaged and it's just flying everywhere. And you know it's um, uh, so sort of the masseurs, the kiff men, these are the boys who the players will confide in. Sure, that's one hundred percent. I mean, that's one of them. They will confide in those people. They won't, won't talk to me, but the kiff men and that. That's, and I'm not, I think that's true in any, any in any game. That's, it's very very true, and, and I, I think it's amazing because really they, they hold so much power that no one else really knows. And and when managers come and go, they remain constant. You know, it's they're they're probably the ones yeah. that are are there the longest out of everyone. Yeah, and sometimes it's difficult for some of these some of the, the sort of the, the masseurs and because you know you become confident with somebody, and you know, but you also don't want to be the one that passes the news on to the manager. Sometimes, sometimes you might want to. And it's a very sometimes it can be a really fine balancing act of you know being being friendly with the players and everything, but at the same time you know you're employed by the club or, yeah. or the national association. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm in sort of one of my roles is actually in the appointing um, the staff, um, excluding the coaches because they pick themselves. Sure. Um, so so again, I, I like I try to keep a bit of distance if I can. And one thing I want to touch on, Mark, that we can't speak about Welsh football or rugby, you know, any Welsh sport for for that matter, and not mention the national anthem. And I mean, you, you've you've waited all that time, and you, you touched on it being very special, that, you know, the tournament in France. But I mean, to be standing there and, and the Welsh anthem's getting belted out, was it Bordeaux? Was it the first game? Or oh yeah, that's that. I think it was lots of amazing things in that that amazing summer of twenty sixteen. But if you were to ask, if you were to push a Welsh fan to say what was it, it was the anthem in Bordeaux. Because uh, it was like, whew, you know, we just... I mean, Chris Coleman's quite funny, Chris Coleman. He'll tell you a story about it. Because um, before the game, oh, well, I, he tells me after the game, I don't know these things, but what he wanted about was, before the game, last minute, all right, boys, what are we going to do now? We've got to be calm, first 15 minutes, because they're going to come at us, this boy Hamzik, he's a hell of a player, want to get behind you and everything. Okay, okay, no problem. That's the plan. By right, 15 minutes, hold the ball, make sure Hamzik doesn't run. Great. And Chris Coleman reckons the anthem was so good, the player just lost it. 
<laughs> no and, and, and there's a very famous, very famous clearance in the Euros in, in that game for us. Ben Davis of Spurs, uh, Hamzik comes through, does exactly what he, we knew he was going to do, puts it on the keeper, and Ben Davis hooks it off the line. Now, if that goes in, it could be a way different tournament for us. But he blames the anthem, Chris Coleman. Honestly, he blames the anthem because yeah. he was so good. He, we were all like, oh my god, it was so emotional. You know, about 30,000 Welsh people there just singing this anthem. And, and I think as every, a lot of people have said at that point, if the Euros were finished then, that would have been fine. That would have been fine. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I see Wales, that's enough for you. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll head home now. That's okay. Because um, the Euros was basically about the anthem, let's go one goal. Um, and then it went from there. It's, it's really one of those ones that makes the hairs in your neck stand up. I would, I would remember yeah, talking, um, even at this this one there, the, the recent tournament, there was no fans, but it's still, the, when the players sing it, they belt it out, you know, and one of the things for me, watching Scotland, I get really pissed off with, Mark, is when players don't sing the national anthem. And actually at the tournament there, I, I don't know if Steve Clark had hammered it into them that you have to do it, but it was the first time I remember seeing all Scotland players singing the anthem, but... The Welsh players, it's almost as important as the game itself, isn't it? It's been going for a long time, but it, Gary Speed really sort of brought it home to us. And what, what Gary Speed brought into the camp was the, was the New Zealand hacker. Right, okay. Because generally, now, if, you, if you look at the U2 from the 50s, the, the New Zealand hacker, it's a bit pathetic. <laughs> but they brought it in now as part of their, their values and their culture. Sure. And Because anybody, especially young football players, are very self-conscious. Um, and Gary brought in the fact that this was part of what you had to do to play for Wales. This is the anthem, you know, and the minimum you can do is sing the anthem. So, you know, some players still don't sing it, but the majority will sing it because of that. And it's all to do with the, you know, just ignoring the sort of that self-consciousness and just sing the anthem. I bet like the New Zealanders who come in, they're not all Maoris, but they buy into the fact this is important. You know, we will do this before the match. Um, one other thing that's mentioned with the anthem as well is, is that we had lots of problems with the anthem sinking up into the different parts of the ground with the anthem on being played. So if you come to a Wales game now, what you'll find is we play the first three bars and then there is no music. So it's just it's just the crowd and it works amazingly well because the crowd is together then and there's no okay. like echoing and everything because people people take the anthem very seriously in Wales. So, yeah, so we don't actually play the music. We don't do anything. We just set it up and the crowd takes it away, which is, uh, which is again, pretty yeah, it's special. powerful, isn't it? It's really powerful. Yeah. Mark, do, do, as part of your role, do you ever have to book the acts that, that sing the anthem at all? Uh, I have been involved with that, <laughs> bits and pieces. Um, in the end, to be honest, we, we used to book the acts to sing the anthem and do some stuff when we were back in the days when we were struggling for crowds and stuff and, yeah. you know, putting events on. So we did about that. Um, I'm at the Millennium Stadium, um, which I, I refuse to call the Principality Stadium, but the Millennium <laughs> Stadium, um, of course, back in the day when we get massive crowds there um, with Mark Hughes and everything, you know, we were putting some great acts on, you know, so we had the Manic Street Preachers on there and um, Go Look and Chain. Oh, guns don't kill people. Guns don't dare. Well, I mean, the, um, they famously sang "Your Mother's Got a Penis." That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, no, no, the, the one they sang was um, is your wife, your girlfriend's a nutter or something? No, they, they sang "Your Mother's Got a Penis" as well. I remember that one. Eh? Yeah, and uh, but the funny thing was, though, and this is another. So this is me name dropping them. So, 
it was a big thing. So Beckham was playing for England, and the press was like, "Oh my God, this is an insult!" Because <laughs> they're actually singing because he mentioned when he when he started the song, it was like, "David Beckham, this one's for you." Oh, and no. then they sang the song and everything laughed and gone with the game and we lost. And afterwards, then it was a it was a questions asked in the press conference to our manager, Mark Hughes. Uh, do you think this was disrespectful? And he's like, I don't know what you're on about. I mean, I'm in the dressing room. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no got a clue. So as as but as Beckham is leaving, by the way, and I've only met him twice, and I've literally I've met him for a very brief time. Nice bloke. Sorry to disappoint you, Prince Scotland. Nice bloke. And one of the boys said to him, What, what do you think about that then? So I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Brilliant. I'm gonna I'm gonna download that when I get home. And he was genuine about it. But we ended up the press, the press was so on top of it, we ended up having to apologize to him. The FAW, one of those well, and he didn't he didn't give a didn't give a shit. No, why would laughing you? his head off? Aye, that's yeah. crazy. Yes, so yeah, we used to have some good bands uh, back in the day there. Um we do bits and pieces now, but in those days, yeah, the managed through creatures, um feeder. Oh feeder uh, are and chain. Are feeder Welsh? Hmm? Are feeder Welsh? Yeah, they're from Newport. Oh, I never knew that. That's terrible. Oh, catch up, mate. Come on, apologies, catch up. Apologies. Apologies. I was thinking big names like your Charlotte Church and your Tom Jones, and, and you came out with Goldie looking chain. But uh, I'll let you off with that one, Mark. It, it, it's funny in Wales, there's, there's certain um, singers who are all classed as rugby people. Oh, right. Um, and there's certain bands who are football people. And um, and whether you're going to get into politics later on, I don't know. But like the football is more more or less classed as a sort of a, a nationalist political animal. Not everybody, of course. That's that's it. that's not true. Whereas the rugby is classed as a bit more not unionist, a bit more traditional, more Welsh. You know, the rugby still have the choir and the goat on the pitch, and you know, and everything. And it's it's, still, hey, it's a great day out. Rugby, don't I'm not knocking it. It's a fantastic day out. Um, but the football has become something else. So we have to be very careful of what we put up in put up front because the crowd is, thinks of oh no, that's it. That's a rugby person. Yeah. They'll get told. That's interesting. I, I've always thought of Wales as a, a rugby country, which is very ignorant to me considering your football team oh, are significantly is. better than ours. But, yeah. you know, I, I, that's, that's interesting. I never realised there was such a divide there or a slight divide. Yeah. I have to say. Well, it's, 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 it's more of a sort of a viewpoint political divide. Really. I don't get me wrong. Rug, rugby is massively important to Wales. Yeah. The Six Nations as a day out as a, as a, as a social event is huge, especially in the South Wales Valleys area. You know, when the rugby's on, you know, everybody goes out and watch it. Nobody has a clue what's going on. Um, but they enjoy it. You know, and it is a massive cultural thing. The rugby is a big day out. A lot of drinking, out seeing friends is a fantastic thing. But participation sport is football. Sure. Uh, every village in Wales, same as it's gone, has a football team. Um, and it's much more um, of a widespread as well. Rugby, the professional game is all in the south. Um, football, the big professional clubs are in the south, but in the north we've got the oldest team, Wrexham, and all of our national domestic champions have all come from the north. Far a few years for uh, Barry Town in the south. Well, I don't speak, I don't say their name very often either because they were Merthyr's rivals back in the day, <sighs> uh, Barry. Um, so, but so rugby is important, but it, but it, it is, it can be perceived in different ways. You know, very traditional rugby, very much as it's always been. Whereas football is a bit more. What's that? Well, I like to say, I think it's more. I think it's more dynamic. Sure. You, you touched on politics there, Mark, and, and I find Welsh politics really interesting at the moment, or, or in general, more than just at the moment, because 
I don't understand it as much as I should. You know, I, I think uh, Scottish independence is, you know, sitting probably just now almost at 50-50. And, and I look at Wales and take the Brexit vote, for example, it seemed to be the, the towns that would suffer most from it or the cities that would suffer most from it in Wales that voted for it. And oh, yeah. It's, uh, it just seems it like was, there's, there's very much a disillusion there with the oh, yeah, European they, Union, mean, but maybe not so much with Britain. They, it was it was a massive on goal for Wales. I mean, that's not that's just it's just untrue, really, how bad it was. Again, we were in the Euros when it happened, you know. And I, I remember wake, waking up uh, the, the day, the morning of the of the referendum results, and I'd gone to bed, and it was like, oh, they, 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 we're going to stay in, and then of course it, it changed overnight. And we're going into the TV room, just look at the look at the big screen and watch the watch the news. And Ben Davis was sitting there, and like he was actually like gobsmacked. Because he comes from Neath, yep. which is like like Merthyr, like Neath, like those sort of old industrial town that belt across the top of the valleys, um, who voted out, and you know it's been proved now that we we would get three hundred and seventy three million pounds for our communities um, from, the, from EU. the EU every year, yeah, uh, and now the Johnsons clowns are going to give us ten million pound instead. You know it's it's crazy, but if it is. But if it, you are right. There's a, there's a, there's, a, there's something in that though. Is that people are getting frustrated, are getting annoyed um, with a lot of things coming from Westminster. We're nowhere near in Wales, anywhere near the 50-50 of Scotland. We're about 30% at the moment. Yeah. And how, how robust that 30% is, I don't know. But it's been really refreshing over the last five, six, seven years to see finally the Welsh sort of political um, Welsh politics actually becoming more more um more dramatic, I suppose, because it's been quite stable and stable before. But you know, and uh, again the pandemic has helped that, you know, because yeah. I think the, the popularity Labour won the um the Senate election year more or less based on the popularity of our first minister. Cause um totally. I mean um I've stood against Labour for, for play play Cymru. Um and I know how hard it is to 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 dislodge them in the valleys but people genuinely have appreciated how Mark Drakeford has, has helped has, has performed yep. you know um, I don't get me wrong man I think anybody could perform better than Boris Johnson I mean, it's just, <laughs> do you know what, literally it's, I mean, it's that so is, interesting that you say that because uh, I think the Scottish people are probably on the whole don't get me wrong unionists absolutely hate Nicola Sturgeon but I think that mm-hmm. the majority of the Scottish people would probably think that she's done quite a good job uh, throughout yeah. the pandemic but again look what you're up against you know it's <laughs> oh, yeah. it's not it's not exactly. hard to look better than Johnson and then what's happening in Wales um, of late is we, they started having some sort of um, the marches but like obviously you've had loads in Scotland yeah and um, this has happened a lot of time over the years and I've been to independence marches and I, I, I was there on my own with a dog you know because <laughs> um, um, and we actually had one in Merthyr and we had 5,000 people turn up now that you can say, oh, that's not a lot of people. But it was a major event, you know. Um, and that's this, this Yes Cymru sort of organisation now, which is the sort of um, the non-political one. Yeah. Um, it, it, has its, it has its issues, like any organisation. But that really has sort of made um, the national question much more accessible. Because it's not just Plaid Cymru driving it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because um, uh, Plaid Cymru really has a has a problem breaking through in the South Wales Valleys area. I've tried myself and it is stunningly hard work. 
Why, why do you why do you think that is, Mark? What do you put it down to? Uh, a lot of it is just um, a lot. I mean, again, uh, Motherwell um, yeah. Steelworks, you know, industrial town, Bertha Steelworks, coal mining. You know, it's it's that old sort of the the old labour. Heartlands, you know, that, isn't it? Yeah, Heartlands, and and is that old labour? And, and don't get me wrong, you know, from nineteen forty five up into the sixties, you know, a lot of people around here were doing really well for the labour, and a lot and a lot of people dislike the Tories. Um, and the Labour Party are very well organised here. They're very well organised, and they and they are the establishment. And uh, so it's very difficult to get people to, to change things. And then when you're actually asking to change things for something much more dramatic, as in independence, yeah. it's you know it's it's very difficult to get that over. But I mean, I, what we have noticed though is that the younger generation now is much more open to listen. Yeah, just to listen. Um, and I'm not sure if it's the same in Scotland, but with us now, I mean, the I'm 54, so the, the generation above me, I mean, they will literally vote Labour until the end. Yeah, put, put a red rosette and a dog, and they'll vote for it. Yeah, and then I know, I know, it's a bit of the donkey with the red rosette. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, and they are good, and of course they are good Labour politicians everywhere. But you know, I think people are starting to challenge that and say, look, can we do something better? You know, and the pandemic and Boris Johnson together has made people genuinely say we can do better than this yeah and there's a lot of labor politicians in Wales now who are actually saying that as well which is very interesting who are saying look i've been a labor politician for 30 years and i haven't got anywhere near power to make a real difference for my, for my constituents so i i'm going to agree with you yeah why don't i just I feel that, Mark, the more that it's the same with Scotland, you know, the whole of Scotland could return Labour MPs, the whole of Wales could return Labour MPs and you can still end up with a Tory government, you know, and it, it's now going to, it's coming to the point where what you do is useless, you know, so it's, I can understand why the younger generation primarily are thinking, let's go out on our own, you know, if, yeah. you, if, if you look at Scottish independence, you says, you know, we're only at 30% in Wales just now, but at the, before the 2014 referendum, it was sitting around about 26%, 24%. Mm-hmm. And it got up to 45, you know, and now we're sitting at, the, the last polls were showing that over 70% of young people in Scotland want independence. And and I can see Wales going the same way because there, there is no alternative, is there? You know, for, no, there's not. I mean, the, look, Boris Johnson is is a clown, in my opinion. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me on that. But he will probably win the next election. Oh, he will, fair doubt. Because his constituency plays to will vote him back in. Yeah. And eventually Scotland and Wales are going to realise, oh man, this is we are, we are tied, we are tied to this monolithic government, which doesn't make any sense. But the interesting thing about football and, and the politics in Wales is, and, and none of it's the same in Scotland, is that we have uh, an independence march before every game, Wales game. There's a Welsh language club in Womambi shooting Cardiff called Club Iverbach. Right, okay. And it started out quite quite small. And they they the yes can we and the Welsh football fans for independence group, they walk from that. It's about it's about a two mile, not maybe more, but two or three mile walk. And they walk up there with banners and everything and the flares going off and everything. We're getting to the stage now where we're gonna have to sort of intervene to close roads for them because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay. But this walk because it's, it's fun, it's colourful. You know, hey, I can't condone pyro, my official line there for you. Um, but that's growing. And also, I believe, and I've got no stats for this, but I do believe this, that the Welsh football fans who travel everywhere, 
who go to Armenia, Estonia, Georgia, and come back and go, hold on a minute, I've just been to Georgia, and they're independent. Yeah. You're too small and, to go on your own, are you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Iceland, Estonia, what, what, you name them, you know. And I think a lot of our football fans are that way inclined now because they travel so much. The, the horizons are wider. The rugby fan, um, you know, obviously goes to Scotland, Ireland, Italy, France, you know, um, one day they'll let Georgia in and the Welsh football rugby fans <laughs> will have a great activity. It's a fabulous city. Yeah. The Welsh football fans go to these countries all the time. Now, again, I, I'm not speaking for all of them, but genuinely, these fans are coming home and saying, that was amazing. I love Tallinn. That was a great place. What a clever little country they are. Um, for me, Estonia is where Wales should be. Got a massive neighbour um, to the east. So have we. Yeah. Um, they got obviously a lot of pressure from the Russians in, in um, populations and everything. And they are Estonia is one of the leaders in the world on e-commerce. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about online stuff, they are the people who, who will daily knock off Russian cyber attacks because they are so clever and they're so bespoke on what they're doing. Wales could be the same. Wales could be the same as that. Um, and I always think Estonia is, and I think that's one of the things I'm really hopeful our fans go to Estonia. Um, I ramble a bit there, no, but no, I genuinely think totally. fans travelling, yeah. people travel, widens your horizons, Scottish football fans travelling, I'm sure they will be the same. They'll be going away and going, hold on a minute. They're doing all right there. They're doing okay. That was a, that was a great place. Yeah. Why can't we do it? Totally agree. I think where you've got the a bit of a difference with Scottish football fans is I feel that the Scottish FA, maybe the Welsh FA are the same, Mark, but I feel that a lot of Scottish fans try to distance the political independence debate from football. And that's because a lot of football fans in Scotland support Rangers, you know, and there, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the vast majority of Rangers fans are pro-union. And mm -hmm. Scotland want it, and they've, they've worked very hard on this over the years to include everyone from the country in supporting the national team. And there's no doubt you, you go to Scotland games. I go to nearly every Scotland home game and you see banners, you know, Scotland fans for independence. You see, you know, yes, Scotland flags at the games. And I feel that that totally distanced itself from Rangers fans who make up a big proportion yeah, okay. of the Scotland support. And you also get, rightly or wrongly, uh, probably wrongly to be fair, there's been instances where Scotland fans will boo Rangers players when they come onto the pitch. You know, and, and it creates that divide there. It's yeah. it's a it's a very strange dynamic in Scottish politics yeah. that, you know, if you support Rangers, you should be a unionist, you know, and if, if you don't, then it's it's difficult. I, and yeah. I, I don't and agree with that at all. Of course, we, we don't get that. I mean, yeah. um, you know, we, we, over the years, we have had some instances of when we play a game in Swansea, Cardiff players be booed. But we're a long way past that now. Um, Good. I think that's the way it's going to be. We don't really get that. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, the, the atmosphere in the stadiums and everything is, um, I don't think we have pro-independence singing or anything. It's just the general mood of people. When you get back, you go on the social media, you see fans who've been away. And again, I've got no stats, but I just, you see their political leanings are more towards, we can do it better. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, more, it's, it's more that than I want independence. It's like, we can do it better, you know. You know whether independence is means we, you know, we go, I know we go into the what ifs then. You know, do we need an army? Uh, but I think they're just basically saying we can do better than this. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's where they are. And that's where I am, really. You know, and uh, I've obviously been a member of a plaid company for about 30 years now. Stood for Parliament. 2,246 votes, by the way, right? Brilliant. That's impressive. <laughs> well, sadly, the Labour Party had about 18,000 votes. But that's <laughs> not the point. Is it taking part accounts? <laughs> Listen, get, give it a few years or, or another 10 years, Mark, and you might be, yeah, you, might be doubling that at least. Yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was very interesting then going around more in the last election because um, some of the some of the the right-wing media then people read this stuff and they believe it it's yeah. frightening on the doorstep sometimes yeah. wow it just it, it, sometimes you have to experience it to actually really believe it because it's really scary stuff people just did you get anyone did you get anyone going for yourself or making up stories about yourself or trying to dent your no no we didn't have that I mean to be honest you, at the time we had this a bit confused policy of um, trying to not leave the EU. So we had a few people who wanted to right go about Brexit and everything, but no, not really. Um, it was more people having to go to the Labour Party sure. on the doorstep, and Jeremy Corbyn was... Um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn wanted us to join ISIS. That was one. <laughs> I didn't know there was a membership, mate. Didn't know there was a membership. Um, <laughs> you know, um, he wants to get rid of the army. And these, these, are, these are people on doorsteps. Beric were... Very well dressed, articulate, actually preaching back to me this stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, that is that is incredible. Yeah, the power of the media to just keep pushing this stuff out, um, and that I've, I think, you know, that's why social media is so important in a way. And don't be wrong, it is a echo chamber. Yeah, but to push messages out is really important. Mark, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, for me, there's so many negatives to social media. You know, you, you always hear the bad stories from it, but especially the referendum campaign in 2014, you know, it, it allows you to give your own narrative. You know, you're not dominated by a, a media that's owned by a select few billionaires that <laughs> own nearly every newspaper in the, in the land. You know, it's, it allows you to tell your own story. And I think for the Welsh people going forward, that will play a huge part in their future. You know, yeah, no, yeah. no longer are you going to listen to The Sun or The Daily Mail or whatever papers you've got in Wales there yeah, pushing yeah. What they want to hear, you know, it's yeah. In Wales, there's a couple of things that's happening in Wales recently. They've got the thing called um, uh, Camry Nation or Nation Camry, which is an online newspaper and that pushes out articles every day. They're not all about independence, don't be wrong, they are just genuine articles about Welsh life. Um, and that's I've been amazed the numbers involved there. That's good. People pick up they pick up their news differently, and a lot of the stuff they they do as well is about sport and football, which has been quite interesting, you know. So it's um, much more of a um, in-depth view of the domestic game of Wales, which has been ignored for a long time, and, and I, I think is getting much better. Um, so that that's happening a lot with us, and um, in Wales as well. Obviously, the fan ownership thing, the Merthyr our club is fan owned. That's been very big. I think Motherwell was is the same, isn't it? Motherwell yeah, we, we're the first fan-owned top-flight club, certainly in Scotland, and I think almost the UK. But yeah, we, we've got round about three thousand yeah, members just now, and. Everyone pays in a subscription each month, and you know yeah, it's so it, we, it's been a real success. You you know more than MD Mark, and I I think that's really the the future for clubs of our size. It, it means that it's protected by the people that care the most yeah. about the football club. And uh, yeah. uh, what's the the Welsh club just now that's uh, owned by the guys from LA? The act Wrexham. Wrexham. I just think Wrexham. what why have they agreed that? You know, I just don't get it. Well, for sure me, sure I, I, I would not want to be owned by a Hollywood actor by any means I don't care how much money they plow into it it's like football clubs are not someone's play toy you know it's mm. this is people's livelihood it's their community it's the the thing that they're most proud of like get it off the Hollywood you know screens 
I mean, and the governance. I mean, I, I'm 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 currently the vice chairman of the football club in the account because I've been yeah. elected onto the board. Uh, much to my, I can't, I can't believe I did this. So much hard work. Yeah. Um, the fan ownership thing is is really important. I think because I mean, I think in, in, especially in Scottish clubs like Motherwell and that. You know, you're right because it's 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 about just maintaining the the club for the community. Um, and you know, the risk of going out with we we've had it. We've had, it, we've had it both ways, actually, Mirtha. We had an absentee landlord who looked after and ran us into the ground and we went bankrupt in 2010 and we started again with the fans' trust. Um, and then about four years into that then, um, we took our off the ball and we, we almost, we, we, had a, uh, we had to pay a tax bill of about 30 grand. Not a lot of money in the great scheme of things, but for us it was. Yeah. We'd have raised money in a week and we did. We raised the money in a week and we were sort of that close to closing again, you know. Um and that was an interesting wake-up call because ultimately it's the fans. So everybody on the sidelines who I was moaning about it, including me, um, look, oh, no, well, it's up to you. You have, you have to join in now. Because it's not it's like the, 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 the big clubs like Man United and that where you feel helpless. It's the other way around with Motherwell and Merthyr then. You've got to step up. Exactly. Don't sit in the pub and moan about it. Step up to the plate and get on with it. Do you want to put a jumble sail on? Do you want to put a car boot sail on? Great. You do go it. and do it and I'll open the gates for you. Yeah, and that's been that's been in Merthyr over the last five years, and I think we've come on leaps and bounds because you know it is like you, know, you mentioned it, you do it. Yeah, and that's, that's it. That's it, it. It also gives people that personal responsibility that they feel yeah. quite proud of. You know, they're involved with the football club. They can speak to people like yourself, who is the vice chairman. They've probably got a relationship with the players where you know they've got access to them, especially for kids. You know, you, you mentioned Man United, for example. They're never going to meet their heroes. Whereas at a smaller football club like Merford or Motherwell, who's fan-owned, they'll probably meet the, the players before the match or after the match if they just stand yeah, out exactly. front entrance, you know. It's... And, I, and, I just, and I think, I mean, one of the things that Merford has got, um, and which is really unique, is the fact we can, unlike Scotland, at Merthyr, because we are that load on the thing, you can drink on the terraces. So we've got, we got a nice big ground, Merthyr. If you ever come in Merthyr, come out and see us. We've got the old football league ground. It's, just, it's, it's four-sided, it's... It's a, it's it's one of the better non-league grounds probably in England and Wales, genuinely. Sure. Um, but you can take your pint out in a plastic glass, of course, um, and I would drink inside the pitch. Now, <laughs> it's a very interesting story. So, Merthyr play in England. So, there's a lot of discussion about whether we should join the Welsh system. Sure. So, one of the people, my colleagues actually in the Association, went up and met the fans and said, "Look, so you have some of the benefits to join the Welsh system." And it was really fun. I wasn't there. I sort of kept away. And there's a really genuine good, you know, yeah, you can have, you have money for flight, you can have money for this, and you know, European football, yeah. And then just at the end of the meeting, when everyone was sort of getting on, somebody said, well, um, look, in the, in the Welsh Premier League then, can you have a pint next to the pitch? <laughs> oh, no, no, you can't do that. I'm out. Because, um, <laughs> oh, that was it. No, you're right. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> what? If we join your league, I can't drink a pint and watch a game. No. Oh, that's it then. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that is what the culture of football is, really. That's incredible. You know, um, I mean, we played our first home game on Saturday, and one of the cafes on the other side of the ground um, was closed because we didn't get a, couldn't get a couple of volunteers. Because we sell in Merthyr, I think, called Cobbin chips. What's so it's a cob of bread, right, okay. cut in half, take a dough out, and you put chips in it. Brilliant! It is amazing. <laughs> About three, it's about 30,000 calories, <laughs> but it's amazing. Saturday, it was almost a riot. Where's the cotton no chips? Really? Yeah, I mean, the, the football was great as well, but where's the cotton chips? 
That is, I mean, that, that, that's a, that is in our board discussion this week. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. No carbon chips, no pints. We're not there. We're not going. Forget. No, not going there. No. But but that's what the country. And I think the same is that when you go to Motherwell, you go to, go to Queens Park. You know, those are things that the people enjoy doing because it's a more relaxed atmosphere. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Do I want Merthyr to win uh, three promotions and go to the football league? I'm sure it'd be fun, but I don't really want to do it. Yeah, going on yeah. bubble trips and and not being able to drink on the head of the pitch. Yeah, so it's interesting. And I think it's for people that support bigger clubs that are used to success. It's hard to tell them that, isn't it? It's hard to say the one thing for me that I want out of my football club is to make sure that they've got a sustained future. I don't care if they win a trophies. I'd love them to win the Scottish Cup, you know. But if they, if they never win it in my lifetime, it's not the worst oh. thing in the world, you know. To answer the big thing for us every year is, and we've just about to find out who we're going to play is the FA Cup because we join in the second qualifying round, and we are shocking in it. <laughs> we may as well keep the money. And, and invest on a horse, it would make us more money. Like <laughs> shocking it, but it's that dream. Yeah, it's that dream because we it. know we too far. You know, it's the dream of the FA Cup. It's the dream of that, and that's what keeps people going. And to, apart from that, I am. I've got no other ambitions. My ambition is is to come is to keep watching the game with my son, and my dad watches it as well. Yeah, have a few pints, and that's my ambition. That's it. You know, I'm not that bothered. And when I talk to people about that in in the Welsh system, probably. Oh, Merth had a big club in Wales. You should be in uh, in this league and you can go to Europe. I don't want to go to Europe. And they, and they, they <laughs> I want to paint outside of the pitch. I just want to paint inside the pitch. <laughs> and I just, no, and I don't mind going to, I went to Western Super Mail last night to watch us. We lost 3 1. We, were, we weren't very good. Sure. We had a great time, you yeah. know, went over the border. It's family, isn't it? As you say, yeah. it's your kids, it's your dad. It's, that's what football is for many. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's where I am with it, you know, and I think. Working for the Welsh FA as well, I see the the top of the game, and I see the grassroots game, and you know, it's, it hopefully it'll still stay the same game. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm VAR is changing things slightly. I don't understand about thick lines on pitches, and and the the, the English game is is doing handball different to the German game. I, I thought football was supposed to be one set of laws, you know, but ultimately it's still the same. So that's, that's still one of the biggest things I think for. The that's like Formula One is not a sport. I'd go with you in that. I'd go with you in that. Because Formula One, I can't go down to my local Formula One club tomorrow <laughs> and jump in a Ferrari. No, it's totally inaccessible, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, but football is accessible, and football. That's why football is such an amazing sport because it is accessible. You know, you can literally just get a football and play. You know, Formula One club. I'm sure there's one somewhere in Britain, but it's not in Merthyr. <laughs> Mark, if it wasn't for football, I wouldn't have got to speak to you tonight and I've, I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate your time. No problem at all. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks to everyone who has listened to this episode of the DW Podcast. Uh, if you've liked it, please subscribe uh, and check out some previous episodes. And thanks again to Mark Evans for his time. Mm-hmm.